0: So this morning we look to Romans uh, 15, verses 14 to 21, and I've entitled this sermon, Jesus Christ, Servant of the Jews and Gentiles. Jesus Christ, Servant of the Jews and Gentiles. Uh, here Paul makes the, he makes plain the effectual and sufficient work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So he's looking at the work of the Spirit in both the life of the Gentiles and also the life of the Jews But he's more concerned uh, primarily with how these things have worked out in the lives of the Gentiles, especially given the previous context and the verses that we examined together before. He is not only certain concerning the doctrines he has taught to this point as they have the hope of the spirit in them. So he knows that the people to whom he's speaking have certainly agreed with the teaching that he's given so far. But he's also concerned That the work of the Holy Spirit is evident within them. He wants the work to be evident. He wants the work not only to be evident, uh, but he wants it to be evident in how they relate to one another. So how the believers conduct themselves toward one another, he is concerned with that because he's concerned that their fellowship is based on the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation and in their sanctification and cleansing them. And so it is this love and this serving one another that is Paul's testimony of encouragement to the believers. So first, we know that that's the case because he speaks directly to them. He says in verse 14, and concerning you, concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. And so what he sees in them, he sees the evidence of the work of the Spirit, and that's what he wants to encourage them to continue with. He sees that their motives are pure and plain in the sight of God and before men. He sees that they are informed by the knowledge that they're filled with, because one cannot do what God commands in compassion toward one another if they're not filled with knowledge. And so you see today, even if we were to examine before us what takes place in the contemporary church, so to speak, that so many are against being filled with knowledge. But you can't move to the to the, uh, the sanctifying elements of the fellowship that we enjoy together without being filled with all knowledge. So the reason for our being filled with all these things is so that we can be full of goodness toward one another, as Paul spells out in the verses before, but also that we admonish one another. And so we're going to talk about this context overall. But that is where he leads. Verse 14, we know that he's talking to believers, believing Gentiles, because he calls them his brothers. He calls them his brothers and he tells them how certain he was that they bore evidence of the spirit's work within them. So Paul is speaking with certainty about the sanctification of other believers. He's speaking with certainty. It's evident. It's plain. And it's plain because it's plain in how they deal with one another. And so he speaks to them directly and then he calls them his brothers and then he makes makes it plain to them how certain he was that they bore the evidence of the spirit's work. And in what ways? Well, again, he says also he is convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another that there is within the annals of fellowship. There is a self-correcting ability that believers have to admonish one another. That when one is slipping and falling, that the believers possess uh, the power of God's spirit through the teachings of Christ to be able to admonish one another. They are full of goodness, he says, and filled with all knowledge. This is specifically, listen to this, specifically related to the knowledge of God as proclaimed to them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we are rewinding all the way back to one Romans chapter one, when he talks about being unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. And then he speaks of it being to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Well, here he's not only connecting the evangelistic salvation element, but he's uh, he's connecting the sanctifying element that is to be cleansed by our sins uh, once and for all at the cross, but also to be progressively cleansed of our sins through the work of God's spirit in our salvation. And so Paul says that that is evident. And even more so, all that has been said so far in the epistle, Paul was convinced that they had received the fruit of it and that they practiced it among each other. And so Paul is saying, all that I have spelled out for you so far It is evident within you because I'm watching how you correspond and treat one another, how you deal with one another. And in the next context, we'll look at how that fleshes itself out, because you have the church in Rome caring for the church in Jerusalem and some of the churches in Asia Minor. So there's this love between the saints in remote places because of the work of God's spirit and because they received what the Apostle Paul had taught and given to them from Christ. And so all of it, it's all connected to this. And yet, as I mentioned, he also pointed to the corrective element because he says you're able also to admonish one another. He looks at their ability to admonish one another, not as something that is negative, but as something that is positive. It's not that they're admonishing one another about things that have nothing to do with their holiness. But it's that they're able to admonish one another in such a way so as to bring encouragement, to warn one another of those things that were necessary to warn. And so the sense is that since Paul did not withhold anything from them, they did not withhold anything from each other. They did not withhold anything from each other. Verse 15, but I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. Let's stop there. Much of what has been said to this point, all the way up to chapter 15 where we are, because this is a letter that's written, but all the way up to chapter 15 as the divisions take place in our Bibles, it was to remind them. And it was the credibility to do so Lay in the fact that Paul was an apostle and servant of Christ Jesus. He's going to appeal to that in verse 16 because he says. The grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is appealing to the fact that. That he has credibility from Christ to minister to these Gentiles and that that credibility is given by the fact of his own salvation first. That he is a believer amongst believers. He's saying, I can appeal to you from the word because I'm born again by God's spirit, because I was given grace by God, because I was saved by grace through faith, because I have tasted the very things I'm telling you. And so he says, I can come to you in this way. I can come to you, O Gentiles. Because these things are true. But I also serve as a priest. I also serve as a priest in this way. I'm a priest granted under the commission of the gospel of God and Christ himself. And giving an offering of people. A sacrifice of people. Now I believe that this is in some ways I would have to say just knowing the cultural background and the context that's before us. It's implicit. I believe Paul is taking aim at the paganism surrounding his, his uh, himself and his time because they were prone to give human sacrifice as an offering to the fake uh, the fake uh, vain uh, idols. And yet Paul is saying, I am offering the Gentiles who have been sanctified by the Holy Spirit and will be ultimately proven to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit as my sacrifice. And that sacrifice will be pleasing to God. And so he served them, he served them as a priest. But listen, he's not saying about himself that he is the mediator. He's not saying about himself he is the high priest in the sense of the great high priest. For he was not that, only Christ is. But rather Paul aimed to administer and proclaim the features of the new covenant, including the teachings of Christ to the Gentiles. Very much as we're reading Leviticus, you can see the connection to the New Testament because Paul stands in the way as an apostle in the same way Moses was a prophet. They're before God being executors and and in a sense, those who are administering the covenants. They're not the chief executor of the covenant, but they are responsible for making sure that the covenant is proclaimed, that its terms are understood and that it is clearly practiced among all those to whom it was given. And so Paul uses that language. He uses that Old Testament language. But he also, I believe, in a sense, it is implicit that he begins to attack those features of false priesthood. Well, you'll see that next time, even in our text, because he begins to tell them uh, to please mark those who are against these teachings. He tells them that uh, in chapter 15. So we come to this place as we do. We come to this place as we do. We look at Paul himself administering the new covenant to the Gentiles, offering the Gentiles to God, those who are believers, those who are the elect. And Paul is sacrificing them to God. That's this is how he views his ministry. He's sacrificing them to God and rendering a peace offering. He's not saying that his sacrifice is a source of their salvation because he's talking about sanctified Gentiles. He's saying, I'm rendering them as a peace offering to God in whom God will be pleased because of the Christ who saved them. So their salvation was to be acceptable and their sanctification was to be acceptable. And therein you find the urgency of Paul the Apostle's ministry, even as this particular epistle closes. I would say, as you look around the landscape that's before us today, what then would we encounter? What would it be if modern churchmen viewed their ministry for Christ Jesus in this way? That they believed that the people in their hearing were a peace offering before God Himself. That they believed that their salvation, that their sanctification was, in some sense, a rendered sacrifice of peace before God. And yet that God would be pleased with the work that he has done in them. That would change the entire way that people deal with other people in the context of the Lord's church and his assembly. But here you see that Paul was praying just how we ought to pray. I believe he's praying that God would be pleased and the Holy Spirit would sanctify those who were offered to God as servants of his. That's what Paul wants. He wants God to be pleased with God's people. He wants God to be pleased with his people. He doesn't have this take it or leave it attitude that I just hope God is pleased with my ministry. He says, I want my ministry to be of service. I want it to be in such a way of service that I can see the evident work of salvation in the hearts of the Gentiles. I can see the sanctifying work in their lives. I can see it as they interact with one another, but it's also my peace offering to God. That's what I want. And so Paul believed that this was an occasion to boast. He believed that this was an occasion to boast, not in the flesh and certainly not in his flesh. Look at this. He says it in verse 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason. I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. Because of all that we just said, Paul says, if I want to boast. I found it. I found the reason that boasting is necessary and I found the occasion for boasting and all of his boasting turns to what God has accomplished in salvation among the Gentiles. That is what he's boasting about. He's boasting about their salvation. He's boasting about what has been accomplished in them. He's boasting about them receiving sound teaching that he has given to them throughout this letter. And he's saying, I'm watching how you interact with one another. And you'll see that part of that interaction we'll get to in the verses that lie ahead in the next time we meet together, it's going to tie into the compassion that they have, the giving they have toward one another, the way that they sustain one another, the way that they love one another. And so Paul is saying, your actions are demonstrating to me that you have received the word and that you have also received the Holy Spirit and that you have also, in a sense, as we look at that, all connected together, not a second baptism, that you have received your salvation. He's pointing to evidence. He's not pointing to a second work. He's saying the Holy Spirit's power is evident. Your confession is aligning with your lives. And so Paul says, I found my occasion to boast. And I will only boast in this area. Verse 17. He wanted to boast because he wanted to praise God for the work of the Holy Spirit in them and in himself and the Holy Spirit's power. That was his boast. He therefore longed for and prayed for. Listen to this. The perseverance of the saints. That's what he wanted. He wanted them to persevere. And he discovered the reason for boasting was only then tied to what God had accomplished in the Gentiles. Paul doesn't say, well, I'm going to boast in myself and my part in this. But Paul also doesn't diminish his part in this because you'll see how the saints loved him because of his part in it. The saints took care of him. You'll see that as he's making his goal in ministry in the latter portions of Uh, of of chapter 15 here as he makes his goal I want to get to Spain that's the goal I have to go to Jerusalem first we'll talk about this next time but he talks about all the saints who have loved him along the way meeting his needs but then he also at the very end of the epistle he begins to call them out he begins to give shout outs to all the uh, saints of God Male and female who have contributed love to his life. They've contributed and met his needs materially, physically, but also spiritually. And and he's encouraged by that. And he says, that is my occasion to boast because that's evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. I didn't have to manipulate them. I didn't have to give them false teaching. I didn't have to press them in their consciences on things that we've already established aren't ways to press them. But they have done it because they have loved God. And guess what? They're doing so as evidence that I love God because they're doing it to me. And I'm showing that I'm sanctified. And therefore, we now have fellowship. So Paul is encouraged and he's writing them remotely. So he's encouraged by what he's hearing, but he's also encouraged by how they have impacted the churches that he does see frequently. He prayed for their perseverance in this, because all that I'm saying to you, precious saints, all that I'm saying can get crowded out by the coldness and merciless actions of the world, by your own self, uh, your own sense of self-sufficiency at times. All the things that can command our attention away from the sweetness of fellowship in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I have seen this. I have seen your love for one another. I want you to persevere it. And guess what? You will because you have the spirit's power in you. And I believe even from Christian, from a Christian to other Christians, we have to begin to encourage one another in this way. That I'm seeing the work of Christ in you. I'm watching it. Day by day, moment by moment, I'm watching how God has brought you to a place in which now you not only believe, but you're acting in accord. And you not only are acting in accord, you have love for one another. And your love for one another is evident because of what he's accomplished in all of us. So guess what? I'm not boasting in you. I'm boasting in him. I'm saying he's done that in you. And so praise be to his name alone. True Christianity is always, always, always reflected by boasting in the things pertaining to God alone. Boasting in those things pertaining to God alone. It doesn't mean we diminish one another, but it means when we point to one another, we are pointing to God's effectual and powerful work in the lives of one another. That's what we're boasting in. And so he says, it. he says, I have found reason for boasting. You can almost hear the excitement in this. I have found he's coming to the end of an epistle. And so many today would be distracted by this epistle because rarely have I ever heard anything taught on Romans 15. But they they disconnect you from it because they want all of the theological substance, maybe. But they don't want you to connect it to how then ought I live my life before the believers. How do I live my life with you? How do, we, how do we deal with one another in these areas? And so Paul says, in all that I've taught, he doesn't give a theological summary. What he says is, you already understand that. I was reminding you about that. You've heard those things. But look, I found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. Not himself. He's not boasting in himself. He's not boasting in his reach. How many people he's reached. He's not boasting in his goals. He's not boasting in his vision. So many use that word vision and their visions are terrible, but they say they have a vision and the vision never aligns with what God is saying. Paul is simply saying, I'm going to keep it simple for you. I'm going to boast in the spirit's work of salvation and sanctification in your lives. And when I see you practice that with one another, I'm going to boast in that. It is so simple. He says, I'm not going to go beyond that. I, I only want to boast in those things pertaining to God. When I see it in you, then I'm boasting in God when I, when I commend you for it. Paul saw what I believe because he saw it around him. I mean, he stands in the place of the philosophical schools surrounding him, the sages that attach persons to themselves and their ideas. And their folly and their foolishness. We saw that in Romans 1. Commending each other for wickedness. We saw that in Romans 1. We saw it in Romans 2, even among the Jews. But Paul saw what men are sadly distracted and motivated by today because it was distracting and motivating uh, to men then. That is presumption. It's this idea of presumption. I'll explain to you what I mean by that. It is the laying aside of the word of God and the will of God. And then presume to speak on everything except the word of God. I'm going to say it to you again. It is the laying aside of the word of God. Therefore, you're laying aside the will of God. To then you presume to speak on everything except the word of God. And so in that you begin to encourage and admonish people in things outside of God's word. All the while you're telling them this is the will of God. This is what God has said. And they can't find it. But Paul was only interested in speaking on that which Christ had accomplished through him. Listen, because that is also what Christ had accomplished in the elect Gentiles. He put himself among them in the saving work. Sure, I'm a a messenger to you in the apostolic sense. But I'm with you in the sense that there is no partiality related to this salvation thing. But it's what Christ had accomplished, what Paul was concerned with, not just the knowledge. It wasn't just the knowledge. It was an action. It was an action. Also, look at verse 18, for I will not presume to speak. So Paul is fighting the presumption. I said, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. That's what I'll speak on. When I'm, when I'm before believers, dealing with the things of God, I'm going to speak on those things. And look, I say it's an action, not simply knowledge, because He says, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. So many are able to boast in what they say in manners of eloquence. But when you watch the people to whom they give the abbreviated sense of God's word, those people don't act like Christ, do they? Well, there's a disconnect. They have fallen short. They've stopped short of the fact that I'm not boasting on the delivery of what I'm saying, I'm boasting on the result. And the result then belongs to God. Because if I'm proclaiming what I am and the people are growing in the knowledge of these things, Then their lives will reflect that growth. He says, it. I'm only going to speak on what Christ has accomplished through me. And I'm only going to tie that to the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, that the Gentiles to whom I'm proclaiming things, they are obedient to the word of God. They are doing what they do by word and by deed. They are showing evidence of this. How many ministries and ministers today are unconcerned with the results of the ministry so much as it ties to what Christ has accomplished in the Gentiles? Because you hear everything else. They're concerned with everything else. Sure, they mention Paul. Sure, they mention salvation. Sure, they mention obedience and the word. But they do not act as though those things are what Christ is only concerned with. He's only concerned with the Spirit's work in the lives of his people. That's all Christ is concerned with. And so that's all we should be concerned with. Here Paul is next speaking in the very apostolic sense. In other words, there's a time stamp to what he says in the way that these things are administered. I say that because of the time frame in which they take place. Look at verse 19, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the spirit. Now, when we look at that, we don't go, oh, then we should practice signs and wonders and we should do so in the power of the spirit. No. You're looking at something that very much has to do with Paul. And as I said, him saying, I am first out to the Gentiles. I am an apostle in the apostolic age, and this is how my ministry goes forward among the Gentiles as an apostle. That as the canon, the the, the canon of scripture is being finished, I then must testify to that canon. And Paul is telling you how he has done that. Now, listen, we know that there are limits placed on this, not because I'm saying there, there are limits. But because there's actually geographical limits, there's regions where these apostolic gifts were evident and that he performed these gifts. He says, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the spirit, look at it, so that we have purpose from Jerusalem and round about as far as Alikram, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. He's speaking, he's using, uh, he's using the personal pronoun I. He's speaking of himself in the first person. And he's saying, these are the regions that were the scope of my ministry where these things uh, were operable and where they functioned. And he's saying, I did these things personally in these regions. And you'll see it even more so. If you were to look down uh, from verses, which we'll cover this next time, verses 22, 22. To 31 he begins to fill out those regions he begins to go I ministered in Macedonia and Achaia he speaks about uh, Chentria. he mentions these places that were historical places that the apostolic gifts were evident and he says this is what I did in the scope of my ministry to these people in those regions so my point is you can't Take this statement and say, I'm going to do what it says without giving account for the fact that Paul's an apostle. And he's saying, I already did. it. I did it in these regions. Because, quite frankly, if you look at verse 20, he says, and thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named. So he's saying, I'm in unmarked territory from a perspective of the Gentiles. And he's saying that there's a couple reasons. We'll get into it a whole lot more next time. But he's saying that because he's, again, writing to them remotely and there's a church that already exists there. And Paul is saying that church has so flourished that I'm simply writing you to remind you I'm reminding you about all these things. I believe that this is very much connected to Peter's ministry. And I believe Paul is saying, I'm reminding you of things in Rome because you have heard it in, in the apostolic sense. There are already believers there. I'm simply encouraged that you're showing strength and fellowship and obedience and love in your actions. I mean, this sounds like a church that is fully given over to maturation. They're mature. You'll see even a distinction as the next time. We launch into a new study together. We'll look at Corinthians. You'll see a church that is quite different from the church in Rome. But again, you look here and you see that there are limits to what has been performed. For he both practiced the signs and wonders of an apostle. He says, I did this. I have fully preached the gospel in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the spirit. And then he talks about the regions. And then verse 20, thus I aspired to preach the gospel so that I would not build on another man's foundation. Then he says, even again, you have historical context. Verse 22, for this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. He's talking about himself. He's talking about apostolic gifts, not even in the general sense, but in the specific sense of him practicing them toward the people in these regions as a part of it as a part of uh, testifying about his ministry. But what I want you to take away from what we said, because there'll be some overlap the next time we come together. Paul did not withhold the scope of his ministry. And he certainly did not withhold the doctrines related to his ministry. He tried to minister as vast and as deeply as he could. I know the conservative approach is to go as vast as they could without going as deep as they could. Because the feeling is that you can't go as vast as you can if you go too deep. Paul is saying, I went as vast as I could, but I also I'm reminding you. And his reminder is Romans. I mean, think about how deep he goes just to remind them of things they knew. They're not hearing it in the sense for the first time. But listen, he's also not concerned with rivalry and business pragmatism. We'll get into this more, but he was not willing to encroach where the true evidence of God's working in the power of his spirit was evident among the saints and practice among them. He didn't want to encroach, meaning he was not saying I'm giving you something different than what the other apostles have said. I'm giving you something different than what you have heard. He's saying, I'm reminding you of what you I'm strengthening you in it. And I'm watching you strengthen one another. But Paul is also saying, and I also want to benefit from it. He'll talk about that in the verses that follow. When I come visit you, I want to benefit from your compassion and love toward one another. He'll make the case for that. He'll say, I want to not only benefit, but I want you to materially benefit the churches remote from your region. And Paul is not using tactics that are pragmatic. He's saying, you'll be driven to do this because the Holy Spirit's work is evident within you. You want to minister to the saints. We talked about that in chapter 15 early in this chapter and also in 14. But I'll also say that there's a sense that What he says is connected to uh, the testimony given to us through Isaiah in verse 21, Isaiah 52. And in a sense, what is said there, and I'm not going to go too far in it because we look at it next time. What is said there is essentially you had Gentile rulers who were closing off regions because when Paul says in verse 22, for this reason, he's looking at that prophecy, I have often been prevented from coming to you. So he's talking about the distracting element of the wicked and evil one who closes off the people under his regime, the kingdom of darkness overall, but these worldly kingdoms who are an expression of that and preventing the people from hearing what Paul has to say. And so Paul says, I couldn't make it at times. I couldn't make it because the spiritual warfare involved of trying to come to you, But he's also saying, I'm not coming with the motive to encroach on the work that has already been laid. The foundation being Christ. He doesn't make the foundation the church. He says the foundation is Christ. It's Christ's work. It's what Christ has accomplished. And inasmuch as I see that, when I come to you, I want to benefit from it. I want to encourage you to remain instant in it. I'm not trying to build it for the first time among you. But he certainly says there are other regions in which I had to, for the first time, give them uh, the word of God, the gospel of God, with, uh, accompanied by the signs of an apostle, the signs of, the, uh, of, of powers and, 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 uh, and signs and wonders, and the working of miracles by the Spirit. So with that, we end. Next time we will look at, it'll be an overlap, we'll look at kind of verse 20 all the way to the end of the chapter. And I pray that this has been a blessing to you. Let's pray.